So as you know, I was not here last week. I was sick, and I did not get to preach the sermon on hope. And so I was thinking this week as, um, okay, do I just skip that? Or do I take last week's sermon and this week's sermon and just preach them both today? That was a thought. And then I figured I'd run you away, so I didn't. I am not preaching them both, but I have kind of uh, mingled the two thoughts together. So it won't be twice as long, so you can set that at, at, at bay. Uh, what I was going to do um, last week, most of you know what Advent, uh, what the Advent season is when we talk about Advent. It's the beginning of the church calendar year. If you, are a, if you look at um, uh, the church, it begins with Advent. And so um, the first four Sundays or the, first, uh, the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day are considered the four Sundays of Advent. The word comes from a Latin word, uh, adventus, which means presence or arrival. And um, as we look at Advent, we look at it from two different levels. Uh, the first is we kind of place ourselves in this historical context of Israel looking forward towards that first coming of Jesus Christ. They were awaiting this anointed one, the one that God was going to bring to deliver them from their bondage and would set up his kingdom forever and ever. This anticipated historical first coming, much of Israel missed. But we understand that the first coming is with the birth of Jesus Christ, an historical event that took place. And we will celebrate that more as we go through the Advent season. But one of the other, the second level of this anticipated coming, this arrival, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The New Testament writers, in our case today, Matthew, we know that Paul talked about this parousia, this arrival, this second coming of Jesus, the one that would come and he would set things right. This upside-down world would be turned right-side up, this coming that we are anticipating. And Jesus himself talked much about the parousia, and we will look at that today too. So the faith of his promised coming, the hope of his coming are the themes for today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to uh, use two texts this morning. The first one comes from Matthew 3, and I'm going to look at that first, and then we will look at the other one just a little bit later. So the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 3, it's a familiar passage. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, 
and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mm-mm-mm. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for a baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds for what you have for us today through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thirty years have passed since Joseph has brought uh, Jesus to Nazareth. And 400 years has passed since since God has spoke through one of his prophets. And so Israel has been waiting, it has been silence, and all of a sudden there is John that appears in the wilderness, John that is preaching this repent for the kingdom of God where heaven is at hand, the right message by John. It's interesting though, I don't know if you would want me to preach as John preached, because John only had one sermon. And if you came every Sunday and I just preached the same sermon over and over and over again, you may just go to some other church to hear somebody else preach something different. But this was John's message. Repent, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. We know that John is the forerunner. You go to Luke's gospel. If you're reading Luke's gospel as a devotion during Advent, maybe you are further in. But as you read that first chapter, you hear Zacharias, you hear Elizabeth, and she becomes pregnant. And here when the very mother of our Lord Jesus Christ comes into the presence, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Here is the forerunner that is proclaimed the the forerunner of Jesus. Not only Isaiah, but the prophets tell us this is the one. This, as Gabriel said, is the one who is going to prepare the way for Jesus. Matthew quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, as one preparing the way of the Lord. And John, this chosen forerunner, begins to speak 
after a silence of this 400 years, and God is using him to prepare for the Messiah that is to come, the one that is yet to come to him for baptism. And so for this reason, John is preaching repentance. Repentance is necessary, is a necessary step to prepare the way of Jesus to come into our life, to come into our heart. We know that the word repent means to change direction, to turn around. It means to say, God, you are right, and I was wrong. And that is difficult for us as human beings to admit that we are wrong. And especially even when we say to God, hey, God, you know, I'm not sure, but I think I'm doing things right. And God says, wait a minute. If it's not my way, then it's the wrong way. The Bible teaches us that that faith and repentance go hand in hand. They are not separated. They are like two sides of one coin. You can't truly repent without believing in Jesus. And you can't truly put your faith in Jesus without repenting. Think about that. True repentance is believing repentance. And true faith is repentant faith. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have faith in him. We believe in who he said he was and why he came. We believe that he fulfilled the promise that was declared that he would be the Messiah. That he was the Christ. And John the Baptist is announcing this one that is coming. The one that is Coming behind me, the one that I am preparing the way for is one that is greater than me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, John says. But he says something else. He says that his repentance, his baptism is one that he baptizes with water for repentance. But he said the one that is coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we know that 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 promise will be fulfilled at Pentecost. And for all following Pentecost that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are filled with this very spirit of the living Christ. What is interesting to me is as Matthew gives us this understanding of John preaching, John the baptizer giving this message of repentance. He talks about judgment. He doesn't just stop with this message of repentance, but he sees that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and what is interesting in verse 7, it says that they're coming for baptism. They're coming to repent. Isn't that interesting that these Religious leaders are coming to be baptized by John. And John sees them and he calls them a brood of vipers. And he says, wait a minute. Where's your fruit? And he gives them this warning of judgment to come. The axe is already there, he says, at the foot of the tree. And then he says, there's one that's coming. There's one that is coming that is going to gather the wheat into the barn. The one that will gather all of those who have come to faith. Those who have believed. 
and the chaff is going to be thrown into the fire, the unquenchable fire, the never-ending fire. Isn't it interesting that in this passage, as John is preaching, as he sees these who are coming, he brings up judgment. His wintering fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor. John is announcing the second coming of Jesus. He has announced that one is coming, and we know that Jesus has been born, but here he is saying there is one that's going to come that is going to set things right, one that is going to bring justice. And so now I want you to turn to the second passage that I want to share. And that is in chapter 24 of Matthew's gospel. Because I want to jump there and I want you to hear Jesus' words. As Jesus is talking about the second coming, he's talking about what will happen. And I'm just going to pick up with verse 36 in this 24th chapter and read through verse 44. But the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, that's capital S, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know the day of your Lord's coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Just before this text, Jesus has discussed the nature of the coming judgment. He gives in some detail, especially in verse 30, he says that as the Son of Man will appear, he says there will be signs. In the sky, there will be tribes of earth who will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of sky with power and great glory. Now, there are those that certainly think and believe that this judgment that he is speaking at and about is nothing more than the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And certainly, there were those that were not surprised at the destruction of the temple at that time. But that's not what Jesus is speaking at. 
Jesus is speaking about the Perusa. He is speaking about the coming of the Messiah that will bring about justice, the one that will usher in his reign in the world, this final arrival, this second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking of something that will happen at a later date. And he explicitly says, no one knows. Look at verse 36. No one knows. So none of humanity knows the day or the time of his coming. You've got to bless, I guess, some of those well-meaning pastors who say, I've got it figured out. I know the day. I know the time. I've gone to Daniel. I've gone to Mark 13. I figured it all out. It's going to be this day at this time, and Jesus is going to split the sky wide open. And every one of them have hit the mark this amount of times and will continue to hit the mark 0% of the time. Because Jesus says, nobody knows. You can claim it all you want. You can say we're living in the end times, and that's fine. We've been living in the end times since the first century. It's coming along. It's God's time. It's not ours. There's a lot going on. Jesus says, hey, not even humanity knows, but not even the angels in heaven know. Uh, you know, these, these messengers that God has, I, God hasn't, my, my father hasn't even told them. And then he says something interesting. He says, hey, guess what? I don't know either. God, God hasn't, my father hasn't told me either. Only the Father knows. It is interesting because of Matthew's gospel, as Matthew writes, and Matthew is very intent on the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, and he wants us to understand his humanity and his divinity. And then you go to John's gospel in the first chapter, and we see the humanity and divinity of Jesus. But here in this text, Jesus voluntarily admits that there are some attributes that he willingly restricted himself to. And in the text that Lori read earlier in verse 6, Philippians 2.6, 2, it says, Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God to, be, to a thing to be grasped, that is, to be held on to, in his humanness. Jesus says, no one knows, not even me. But the Father knows. What is interesting to me also in this text is, though he announces that no one knows except for the Father, he says to his disciples and those that are listening to him, he says, but let me tell you this, I know what's going to happen. I don't know the day, I don't know the time, but I do know how it's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. You see, it's going to be like the days of Noah, he says. He tells us to, to be on alert. In verse, seven, in verse 37, he says, As in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. 
And he uses the next verse and he compares that time of Noah's time with his coming. And he says, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Now, we know that Noah was preaching while he was building. You can go to 2 Peter 2.5 and know that there is a message there. Noah is building an ark, and he is preaching and saying, look, there's a flood coming. There, there's, you better watch out. But think about it. No one had ever seen rain. No one had ever seen a flood. Everything had been watered by the insulation of the earth. Water had come up from the ground or through the atmosphere. But no rain had ever happened before up to this point. And for 120 years, he's building an ark and he's preaching, look, it's coming. It's coming. And Jesus says, just as in the days of Noah, as they were laughing and eating and drinking and marrying, having their parties and having fun. It's going to be that way when I come back. The people were so out of touch. Does it sound familiar to our world today? There was a perilous situation that was about to take place, but yet they didn't see it. They didn't even understand it. All they worried about was themselves and their own happiness. They had no hope in the future. It was live today for today. In verse 40 and 41, Jesus draws another analogy just a little bit more out and he says two men will be in the field one taken two women grinding one taken one left he parallels these figures of the unbelievers in Noah's day to the judgment that will come we could move forward in chapter 25 and we could see where Jesus uses the separation of the sheep and the goat and we know that there will be a separation Jesus is communicating in this particular text the understanding that there will be a separation of those who believe and do not believe. As in the days of Noah, there was a judgment that took place by God. And those who were chosen by God were saved. The others were taken away in judgment. This separation of people at the Lord's coming is not differentiated by race. It is not differentiated by wealth. It is not differentiated by skin color or intelligence level. Only one thing counts. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Are you his? This is the announcement of John the Baptist. This is the announcement of the gospel writers. This is the announcement of Jesus himself. If you don't know me, then the Father does not know you. Very little has changed. Today, there are those who are twisting the words of the gospel to make it their own. 
there are those today that say, hey, don't worry about sin or lifestyle. Don't worry about the end prophecies of the scriptures. Don't worry about any of these things. These aren't the worries that Bill was talking about last week. What the world will say to us is live and be happy. And if it ends, don't worry about it. God's a God of love and everybody gets in. Just enjoy yourself. And I would say to you that that's not how it happens. It's at least not how the Bible that I read and the scripture that I believe in says that it will take place. There's going to be a separation of people at the second coming. There's going to be those who are divided by the judge, ultimate judge. The coming of the Son of Man will be swift. Different from any human methods. And the church needs to take note. Jesus tells us, be alert for the Son of Man is coming. He concludes that passage in 42 through 44 and just tells us to be ready. To be ready for his coming. He gives us this imagery of a night watchman that is, is watching. He says, look, if you, if you knew the time that somebody was going to break into your house, you would be vigilant in watching. He says, now, now be ready. I've told you that I'm coming, so I want you to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you least expect for him to come. So Jesus says the coming is intimate. It's going to happen. Watch for it. Be ready for it. Anticipate it. But only the Father knows the day or time. Now you would say, wow, it's Advent. It's Christmas time. And boy, you sure are talking about a lot about judgment. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but... It, it, it seems to me that with the anticipated birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus in Mary, his life, his death, his resurrection, all are leading to a plan that God has put in place. And that is... That judgment will come so that our hope and our faith that we have in him will be fulfilled. Now, as we get further into the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to talk about judgment from a human standpoint in chapter 7. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This judgment is going to say, God's going to finally say, Look, the injustice to the widows and the orphans had enough of it. I'm done with it. God's going to say, I am tired of people justifying killing unborn children. I'm done with that. 
He's going to say, I am tired with people, my people, overlooking those that they can help. I'm done with it. I'm done with sin and death and evil. I'm not going to stand for it anymore. It's not going to run rampant any longer. You see, God's judgment is actually beautiful. For in the midst of condemning evil and sin, Jesus offers mercy and grace for all who would believe. And so those who believe in him have the hope and the faith, knowing that you are secure, that you are his, that this impending judgment of separation is not to separate you from God, but but to bring you into the presence of the living God. The coming of the Son of Man, both the first and the second coming, should strike hope in us. Our final destination, our reservation has been confirmed. It's been stamped. If you had a passport to heaven, it would say, confirmed. That should be the hope that we live into. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This advent, this anticipation. Yes, we will celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ and his first birth. And we believe that. The incarnate God was born for the sins of the world. I came to seek and save the lost, Jesus said. At Bethlehem, he arrived to be the light of the world, to fill the darkness. He won the battle, and the battle is won, and there our hope is placed. Let me give you, in closing, this kind of analogy. Some of you um, remember June 6, 1944. If you were not alive, you certainly, through history books, may remember that date. It was a decisive military operation that ultimately led to the victory of the Allied forces with victory over Nazi Germany in the invasion of Normandy. It's known as D-Day. We celebrate it every year, June 6, 1944. That final surrender of Nazi Germany led to the end of the war in Europe. But listen, the end of the war in Europe, the date, May 8, 1945. It's called VE Day, Victory in Europe. Almost a year later, despite the gap between the Allied victory on D-Day and the final surrender of the Nazis 11 months later, it was on June 6, 1944, that the war by the Allies were won. The invasion of Normandy marked the end of the Nazi control in Europe. It was only the cause of D-Day that V-Day actually happened. 
Now, here's the correlation that I want you to see. Through the cross and the resurrection, God, D-Day invasion of his enslaved creation has been successfully accomplished. The forces of evil and death and the devil have been dealt with decisively by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So D-Day is our Easter. Victory is going to be when he comes back and finally binds Satan and all evil and it is done away with and thrown into the abyss. Theologians call it the now and not yet. The now of Christ's decisive victory and his defeat of death in his resurrection, but the not yet because the final collapse of evil and sin has not yet taken place, but it will, and our hope is found in him who will come and take care of it. So in the midst of this talk of judgment and justice, we must remember that our judge is a judge of mercy and grace. God who judges is the same God who saves. God whose judgment on evil and sin also brought salvation and mercy as well. And this is the anticipation that we celebrate the promised hope, the faith in which we put our faith in, and that Christ has accomplished exactly what he intended. My prayer this Advent season is for us as we think about hope and peace and love and faith. It will point us to the Christ that is yet to come. That we would be eager in our anticipation of the coming of the Son of God. For he is coming. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your promise. You not only fulfilled the promise of your first coming, historically in Jesus Christ, fulfilling that promise of the Messiah, the Paschal Lamb that would be for the sins of the world. Jesus accomplished that in every single way. He conquered death that we would have life in his name. Father, we also know through Jesus' teaching, through the scripture that you have given us, through the New Testament writers, even through some of the old, as we look at the second coming, that you are going to return, and our hope is found in your coming, knowing that you have provided the way and the path to life eternal forever and ever. Amen. So, Father, this morning, as we enter this Advent season, as we head towards Christmas Day, as we celebrate your first birth, let us also remember and be ready, as you have called us to, for your second. Let us be in proclamation of the coming Messiah, the one who will put an end to all evil, and reign forever. Oh, Father, thank you. 
We look forward to that day. We don't know when, but we have trust and faith knowing one day, whether at our death or your coming, we're going to be with you. And for that, Father, we give you thanks. You are our hope. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.